Babies don't come with a manual, but today there are thousands of books and experts to help guide you when you have a challenge. The problem is, where do you start? This is Helpline in Focus, where we jump straight in and spend some serious time on topics that we see a lot in our regular Helpline series. Today, we're talking about toddler behaviour. Our expert is childhood behaviour expert, Stephanie Wicker. If you have a question for Stephanie, post it in the comments of this Facebook Live. Don't be shy. We all know toddlers can be extraordinarily challenging. Stephanie, hello. Hi. I think that's putting it lightly, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Now, look, just a put this into perspective before we come to the questions. What's the one fundamental thing that you believe parents need to keep in mind when they're going through the toddler phase? That is a huge question. Um, And we could probably talk about that through our entire time together, but I won't. (laughs) Um, I think that one thing to bear in mind that my husband and I had recently had to kind of relearn ourselves was that this is a really emotional time for your child, no doubt about it. And we see that in all of their decisions and all of their behaviors, we get that. This is an emotional time for us too. (laughs) And I think that like, we're so busy thinking about how can I demonstrate grace to my child? And I think that honestly, that begins with showing grace to ourselves. And I am like saying that to myself right now. (laughs) When my husband and I decided to become foster carers, this was a few years ago. I remember thinking, I've been working with kids for years. I've been helping parents (laughs) for years. I know this stuff. This is going to be fine. But ironically, I think I have had a harder time adjusting than my husband has, because I'm a very emotional being. Everything's personal. Like anyone who has worked with me will know that I am 100%. All my emotions are on my sleeve. And whereas my husband is just this really boring, like, (laughs) like placid personality. And I have found that I have had to learn how to accept it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be worried. It's okay to be stressed. It's even okay to be angry and upset. Things that we are so often suppressing. Oh, I shouldn't have been so angry with my kids today. I shouldn't have been so frustrated. Why am I so impatient? And we torture ourselves for being normal. It's so <laughs> being true. Human. Isn't and, it true? I, and especially oh. with toddlers, because yes. I my kids are older now, but every time I see a parent with a toddler, my first response is, oh, aren't they cute? And then my next response is, oh, they must be so tired. <laughs> they, just, they just never stop. Like whether it's running around being curious or if it's pushing your boundaries. I mean, I, I really love what you said then about um, it's okay to be angry because as a parent, when you get annoyed with your child or you're impatient and let's face it anyone who's tuned into this is a good parent because they want to do the right thing with their kids they want to understand the challenges they want to parent well Um, but those little toddlers are just like it's like they know every button and they're going to push them Yeah, they're designed that way. (laughs) And and they're designed that way, but we don't cut ourselves slack. Like if Mm -hmm. if anyone else was pushing our buttons, we'd be going to counselling every week. But Mm -hmm. when it's our child, there's some kind of expectation that we are all suddenly Mother Teresa and (laughs) it it doesn't bother us and we should just be calm and float along and not be 
bothered by it. And I, I can't remember where I heard the the um, quote, but I remember hearing someone saying that if you took a toddler and put them in an adult's body, they'd be locked up in a psychiatric ward mm. super quick because they're like narcissistic behavior and, you know, tantrums, violent tantrums and all those things. Um, so I really, really love what you said that we as parents have to be like, it's okay. This is, this is actually hard work. Yes. Yes. And the parents that I'm working with, they come to me in the hopes of becoming calmer, more gentle parents. And that sounds like you're always going to be happy. Everything is going to be fine. And if you're not happy, it's your fault. Um, And that, I don't know if is the best representation of the actual reality of parenting. (laughs) Oh God, no. Yeah. All right. Well, let's have let's start with some of these questions that our our little humans um, are throwing at their parents. Uh, Kalisa says, "My almost four year old daughter has become very rude and sometimes naughty lately. People used to comment on what lovely manners she had, but all that's changed. She has almost completely stopped using any manners unless I insist on them, which I do." She's shown a lot of defiant behavior towards us and her grandparents and aunts, refusing to do as she's told, and has also been caught out for snatching toys toys, and generally being too rough with her younger cousins. This is such a change from six months ago, but no, nothing in her home preschool routine has changed. Her dad and I would love some advice. Uh, it is so hard when <laughs> our beautiful angels are behaving rudely to other people. It is devastating. And we feel like it reflects us. You know, what am I doing wrong that my little angel is now being so rude and it's so embarrassing. And I think that it's so important to remember that stress creates stress. So as soon as your three or four-year-old, I'm not sure if she said, um, but as soon as your youngster- Four-year-old, yeah. Four. Oh, well- there you go. We'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Hang on. Hang on a second. <laughs> right. So as soon as your young child says something inappropriate or says something that's a bit rude, our response is, whoa, I don't think so. You need to go apologize. You, you don't speak that way. And we're actually fueling into that situation. And what's so fascinating is kids don't think that way. They, they don't have that social aspect of, did I just say something rude? Should I have not said that? They're in their own worlds. Their brains are very egocentric. So the idea of you need to say, please, you need to say, thank you. You need to share your toys. None of that is functional behavior for your child. That means that they're not going to gravitate to it. (laughs) It, (laughs) It doesn't serve any purpose for them. There's no benefit. You may as well be saying, tell her the sky is blue when she gives you something nice. That's how much meaning it has. Like your little one genuinely doesn't understand manners and being gracious to others. These are things that come in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that's important to make sure that we have realistic expectations on this <laughs> um, because otherwise we're going to be upset a lot. We're going to be disappointed a lot if we think that she should naturally have manners. So that's the first big thing. But you said she's four. The behavior that you are describing makes plenty of sense. So when kids are four years old, you know, let's, let's kind of take a journey through time just quickly. I, I promise not to take too long, but first we have the toddler years, which seem like this is really difficult, right? As soon as children start to establish that sense of autonomy, oh, I'm not an extension of my parent. I'm my own being. They start to explore 
their capability. What am I able, you know, what am I capable of? What can I do? How much control do I have? And this is where the power struggle starts. This is where, you know, it's known as the terrible twos and they start saying things like no, <laughs> and they stop listening to us. And it just becomes really, really hard overnight. And a lot of this though, serves a developmental purpose, right? That's part of them growing. Then they become three, three and a half, starts a little bit more reasonable, starts to talk a lot more, and that language starts to expand. At four and five, we have a young child who is now speaking beautifully, relatively reasonable, and we tend to think, okay, they're clearly more capable now. We should be able to expect manners. We should be able to expect all of these other things when in actuality, their emotions, they're still working on all of that. Their emotional regulation is still way behind their language development. But we go into it thinking she's so clever. She's so smart. Clearly, she is capable of so much more. And then our standards become a lot higher. And sometimes it's really just a matter of taking a step back and being like, okay, hang on. What's more important here? Like what, what are our priorities here? And making sure that our expectations are reasonable. But I do wanna share with you something that you can actually do. So if you feel like your child has just said something straight up rude to grandma who has worked so hard to make this delicious lunch and she's like, ew, I'm not gonna eat that. Like something <laughs> horrible that is just so embarrassing. I really think the best step here is to give your daughter an opportunity to self-correct. You know, oh, can we try that again? You can say, no, thanks grandma. You know, give her an opportunity to express herself in the same way she can say no, but maybe we can use a different choice of language. I find that that is the key. What we tend to do is she has said ew to grandma <laughs> and we're upset and we're stressed and we're embarrassed and we feel like we're being judged. So what do we do? We punish, we lecture, we get upset with her. And it really just fuels the fire. It just makes things even harder because now she's going to dig in her heels even further. And it really makes the rudeness kind of like grow and continue rather than giving her a replacement. And I think that's the key is reminding kids that it's okay to say no to things. It's okay to be assertive and to stand up for yourself. But there are certain ways that we can do that without being rude to other people. And I think that modeling is the key. And it's also such a powerful opportunity to open a doorway into other strategies that she can use to express herself safely and kindly. I love that. This next question comes from Jess. She says, hi, Stephanie. I'm really hoping you can help me with a gross problem. My almost three-year-old girl has a terrible habit of picking her nose. And before you ask, yes, yes, she has been caught eating it. <laughs> we have tried everything from gentle redirection to explaining why it's not nice to being stern, but nothing is working. It's a seriously gross habit. Please tell me there's something we can do or that she'll grow out of it. <laughs> I'm feeling for you, Jess. I do too. This is the worst. Oh, okay. All right. So I actually have a lot to say on this because the first big thing to understand is why it seems like nothing is working. Um, unfortunately, and this is going to sound really gross. I have to go there. It's a self-reinforcing habit. She likes it. <laughs> That's the reality is she gets something out of it. Um, I don't know what it is, but she's liking it. And um, 
that makes it really difficult to shift, to change. Uh, like, you know, we can explain all we want, kind of like going back to what we were just talking about, where children don't have that understanding of like social appropriation. Like, like they're not, she's not going to change her behavior because we go, oh, actually that's really gross. Don't do that in public. Right. That's not enough motivation for her because it doesn't quite click. (laughs) So that's why it's so difficult. And if you're looking at consequences, like if you pick your nose, you're going to miss out on something again, it's just, it's not enough. It's not enough motivation because she's liking it. Um, I think the key here, though, is to is to understand the function behind it. What is the purpose of it? So, for example, is it because she has a hard time blowing her nose? Young children don't know how to blow their nose. They actually really struggle with this. Um, so sometimes they just need a replacement to picking her nose <laughs> would be here's a tissue. Let's blow your nose really quickly. Rather than looking at it as a punishment, something we want to get rid of, I would focus on a realistic replacement. So teaching her how to blow her nose, maybe getting some wet wipes so it's really easy to blow her nose, whereas tissues can kind of hurt sometimes, get a little uncomfortable. Um, another thing to do is I remember working with a family who had something similar, and this is one of those things I can put up with a lot, but when it comes to nose picking, I, there is just this <laughs> reflex. I really struggle with this one, Siobhan, like big time. So I feel for this parent. Um, but one thing that we realized was their little boy, he had allergies and he wasn't able to blow his nose. And it was just the quickest, easiest way for him to solve this problem. And he went with it and it became a habit very quickly. So as soon as they went to the pediatrician, they got some, you know, some rinse for his nose, like a little, like a nasal spray for his nose. It cleaned out the area. So when he went to pick his nose, there was nothing to gain (laughs) from the, uh, you know, from the event. Um, And sure enough, it it started to go away and it became less and less. I mean, on the bright side, this is one of those behaviors that do tend to come and go. Um, So chances are good that it will go away by itself over time. Um, But if you want to expedite the process, there's a couple of ideas. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Good luck, Jess. (laughs) Raina says, my daughter will be three in January and she's very antagonistic towards another girl who's the daughter of a dear friend. Whenever we meet the other girl who is very sweet and friendly, she does not want to play with her. She's very hostile towards her and I have to constantly monitor her to make sure there's no pushing or harsh words. Otherwise, she is capable of hurting the other child. It's very embarrassing and alarming for me and I just separate them so that there are no incidents. I have tried tried to arrange a play date for just the two of them, as well as getting them to interact in a group, but it's the same every time. I've even tried to build excitement when we are meeting the said child to make sure my daughter is prepared. But the more the other kid wants to play, the more my daughter pushes her away. She's also been saying, go away and I don't like you at times to strangers who try to engage with her or say hello. But other times she's okay. I don't want her to interact with people if she does not want to, but how do I explain to her that it's not okay to be rude and aggressive? She's well-adjusted at daycare, has friends there, and seems to get along with lots of kids. She also listens when we stop her from something and is generally not aggressive. We have heaps of social interactions throughout the week, and she's not isolated. What should we do now? I'm tearing my hair out. Mm, Yeah. This is a tough situation because it's not only hard for the two girls, but it's hard for the two moms who are friends. And I imagine that this can create a rift um, 
over time in that relationship, which would be really difficult. So I think it's great. First off that you're here and you're asking this question because you know, that's the start. That's half the battle already won, just being open and receptive to ideas. Um, and I think getting the other mom on board with whatever strategies you guys decide to use would also be really good. This way, it's a team effort. Both sides can benefit from being proactive, I think, in this situation. I also want to just mention that I love how the mom said that I don't expect her to be friends with everyone or I don't expect her to be, you know, uh, outgoing with everybody. So that's a really good place to start as well as adjusting those expectations because not all kids are bubbly and outgoing like I am. <laughs> um, you know, some some kids are a bit shy and they do feel a bit like, oh, I don't want to be near that person. So I'm going to be a bit rude to keep myself safe. Um, so that is absolutely understandable behavior. But in this particular relationship, because it's someone that you know, there's actually a lot that you can do. Uh, so you have a really good start in place where before the play date, you're already priming her. Oh, your friend is coming over. How fun it will be. That's a great start. Let's add a little bit more into that. Let's do stuff like what are some activities that we can do together? What is something that you want to talk to her about? What is something that we can start now that you two can finish together? Maybe a drawing, maybe a puzzle, something that your child already has the momentum behind it. So if you start a puzzle, for example, that might be a little bit too old for your, you know, for the two girls, but just an example, if you start a puzzle and then the friend comes over to finish the puzzle, you can now fade yourself out and give them time to reestablish that rapport between the two of them while they engage in an activity that's on your daughter's terms. It's something that she already enjoys. So you might find that her likeliness to stay put, to enjoy it rather than being aversive and pushing the child away, um, you might find that that would be a good practice for her just to get the ball rolling. Another couple ideas that I have straight away is um, making the other girl the hero. Okay, what I mean by that is if your little one, for reasons that we may never know, has an aversion to a specific child, again, this is stuff that we, we're never going to get to the bottom of the motivation in your child's behavior necessarily. We might, but it would take a home visit. It would take someone coming to your home and observing your beautiful daughter and, and observing the circumstances to really get a clear idea. So since we're just doing this as an online chat, I think that one way that we could help is start highlighting the other girl. I don't know her name, so it makes it difficult, but highlighting the other girl as the hero of the story. So for example, if you are gonna have ice cream at the play date, maybe you can go to the mom and say, mom, is it okay if your daughter tells my daughter that we're having ice cream today? Or uh, mom, is it okay if your daughter gives my daughter the ice cream? Maybe she serves it to her, um, something like that. Something where, in time, if you do this consistently, always looking for opportunities to reestablish that connection between the two of them and for your daughter to see, wow, this, this, this girl's pretty fun. I like ice cream, so I like her. Um, <laughs> what we tend to find is that can reestablish that bridge um, in that relationship. So there's a lot of little type things that you can do that will hopefully over time reheal whatever has been broken there. Cause we may never know the reason behind her specific aversion to this child, 
I remember working with a family, this was a few months back and their daughter, she had an aversion to the dog. (laughs) She was such a great older sister. She loved her baby brother, but for some reason that dog did something to really make her mad. She was the most gentle girl until it came to that beautiful little dog that they had. So one thing that we did to help kind of restructure the relationship dynamic between her and the dog was giving her a role giving her a responsibility in his growing up, you know? So now it was her job to feed him. It was her job to check on him. It was her job to pet him twice a day, little things, little silly things that might not mean a lot to us, but for her, it gave her that sense of responsibility and accountability. And sure enough, in no time, the parents were sending me videos of her and the dog playing together sometimes. And obviously it's different when it's two kids, because now you can use, both sides. We couldn't tell the dog to go treat her really nice today. (laughs) You know, we couldn't get the dog involved in healing the relationship. But when you have two children, then you could incorporate both and then it's even faster. So um, anyway, it's just a few things to think about. Sometimes children having that role is a really powerful way to just click back into place, whatever, whatever has come between them in the first place and just reestablish a new pattern in her brain in that relationship. I am definitely coming from an adult's perspective with this because I've read lots of those articles about, you know, getting away from toxic relationships. Mm. Should we ever as parents when our children just show that they don't like a child? I mean, my kids are a little bit older, so it's probably different. But sometimes if um, my younger son says he doesn't like one of my daughter's friends, which does happen, um, part of me feels like I need to respect that and and try to not put him in a situation where he's always with that person. I mean, in some ways, I know that um, this woman's already said that she's this woman, I should give her a name, uh, Kath, uh, no, Raina. So um, Raina's friends with this other woman. So it is hard when you're friends, but is it a case of saying, well, actually, maybe it's time now to say we will catch up without our kids because they don't get along? Like, is that an option as well? Absolutely. I think that that at the end of the day is going to come to the discretion between the two moms, you know, maybe having a conversation around, look, we tried this and we tried that. And if it's not to be, it's not to be. Uh, But if the girls are young enough and, and for whatever reason, the moms want to be able to incorporate these play dates. Plus the skills that we're teaching these girls are really good for other relationships too. It's not just beneficial for them because in a way it teaches her daughter to be more gracious and more open and more receptive to somebody else's needs. So there are benefits, but yeah, I think that's a conversation for the two moms to have and to maybe come to an agreement over time. Be like, all right, we tried our best. (laughs) It didn't quite work. Maybe in the future, they will be best friends. You never know. Yeah, that's true. They're very young. I have a question from Catherine. She says, I'm after some advice, please. I have a three-year-old who is at preschool during the week whilst I work. Since the start of the year, he's been becoming really angry, upset and frustrated, frustrated whilst in care, resulting in him swearing and throwing a massive tantrum. I'm actually feeling like I'm failing as a mum, and I am so embarrassed. I'm losing my mind wondering where this is coming from as he does not swear at home at all. I'm not actually even sure where he has learned these words and we definitely don't swear in front of him. Help. Mm. So the concern is the little guy swearing at school. Is that, I just want to understand. Tantrums. So 
there's a concern of my child is using swear words, right? Fair enough. And there's the concern of my child is having tantrums at school because he's feeling these huge emotions and doesn't know how to express it other than anger and pushing and hitting and screaming and swearing. So I guess I would love a little bit more context, but, um, but I think with the swearing side is to remember that words are powerful and children are smart <laughs> and they learn very quickly what gives them power, what feels empowering. The moment that your little one, they hear the word at school, they hear it on a YouTube video, they, they hear it from a brother or sister, it's endless where they could pick these things up. And sure enough, they decide to go to town and use it. As soon as they do, they learn, wow, this is powerful. Everyone in the shops is looking at me. <laughs> my parents <laughs> are like staring at me. Uh, my brother and sister are laughing or my classmates are like, oh, you know, that's power. And remember that children are craving opportunities for power. They're always looking for how much control do I have over myself? And they extend that to the people around them. So as soon as they realize that saying specific words gets them a lot of control and they can just whip that out whenever they want to feel more empowered, they're going to do it. So when do children want to be the most empowered? When they feel disempowered. As soon as someone says, you can't do this, you can't do that. You got to do this. You got to listen. As soon as they feel like I'm losing control here, they're going to look for avenues to regain it. And if they have now learned that swearing feels great because it works so quickly, I think they're going to go to town with it. Um, so I guess I just want to encourage you with that because <laughs> it kind of makes sense when you think of it that way, it, it makes sense that your little one would be swearing, would be using these words. And it goes back to, as much as I don't like to say it, it goes back to the little guy picking their nose <laughs> because <laughs> it's a self-reinforcing cycle. It's one of those things that in and of itself is empowering. So taking away its power is literally the only strategy we have. And that requires us to not be reactive to it. So if we are anxious, if we are stressing about it, if we are lecturing and reasoning and begging him not to say it anymore, we are simply fueling the fire. So the reality is, as much as it seems counterintuitive, is doing nothing, um, is letting it go, finding a replacement for him, allowing him space to express himself safely, kindly, freely, um, and what we'll find is as we give the swear word itself less attention, however, we give him more opportunities for empowerment. What we'll find is his need to draw on those types of things will actually start to decrease. It's a tricky one because you have other, I don't know how to say this. You have like other pills in the bottle because <laughs> what I mean by that is he's at school using these big words and his classmates are giving it so much attention that it sometimes will be for empowerment. Other times it is going to be because that attention feels so good. So there are so many different purposes and motivations behind this specific behavior. But I do think that the key will always be to provide a safe space for him to express himself. So he doesn't feel the need to tug on that rope as much and to try to find a replacement, give that less attention, find something else that he can do to express himself and to share how he feels. Remembering that, like we said at the very, very start, it is okay to be angry. 
it is okay to be upset. It is okay to be sad. It's okay to be stressed. And this is a message that our kids need to hear from us over and over and over again. We've probably got time for one more question. I talk too much. (laughs) No, you don't. It's great. Uh, We have a question from Dawn. She says, hi, I have a one-month-old son and a -a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I'm having trouble with her helping without my permission. One night I went upstairs to get my baby's PJs and I came down and I caught my daughter unbuttoning his sleeper trying to get him undressed. Tonight I was getting his bath ready and found her trying to feed him the rest of his bottle. I don't know what to do. I know she just wants to help, but I can't seem to get her to understand that you can't help without mummy being there. I don't want to be that parent that keeps the kids separated. She already has her jealous moments when I'm trying to bond trying to have bonding moments with my son. So I try to include her and have our moments still. I don't know what else to do about her not listening to me and trying to take care of Bubby without me. I need help or advice. Oh, I love this question so much because it is really difficult, isn't it? Because we're almost telling her the opposite. We're like, you're a big sister now and you are responsible for him and he is looking up to you and we're giving we're putting all of this excitement and responsibility into their relationship and then as soon as they take that very seriously <laughs> we're like all right dial it back kids <laughs> so it's it's really difficult for her to understand our rationale behind saying things like um actually you need to wait until i'm in the room but mom you said that i'm the big sister so it's an understandable situation to be in. And it's actually extremely common. There's a few things that we can do. I have a few ideas and maybe have a feel for what fits your family, because some of them will require a little bit more work. One thing that I automatically think of when you were talking about her feeding him the rest of his milk or whatever that maybe you were trying to save for another time is maybe just thinking ahead and putting it away somewhere out of reach. Um, you know, looking around the room, what's, what's here that will tempt her that I don't want her specifically to do. And maybe just anticipating ahead of time. Sometimes that's more than enough. Um, another thing that can help is redirection. So before you leave, give her a responsibility, make her feel like, girl, you are in charge right now. And I need you to do this, this, and this. And again, it's just offering a replacement to what you don't want her to do. Keep her busy. Maybe that'll be enough while still incorporating the relationship between the two of them. Can you get some clothes out for him? Can you find some tissues for him? I've got to go grab something. Can you get some tissues for his nose? So giving her a responsibility before you leave, again, that might be more than enough. However, if you are finding that this is every day, (laughs) like I need to be more proactive. It's not just a matter of redirection. It's not just a matter of anticipating I am being worn down. Then maybe we can add something into this cycle. Okay. And what I mean by that is our goal is if I understand correctly, our goal is that before she helps him, she checks her mom. So what can we do that will help her get into the habit of looking for mom right now? The motivation to help her little brother is outweighing her, her need to look for mom. She don't care about mom. She cares about Bubby. (laughs) She just wants to play with Bubby. So that means that we need to add something fun, add something enticing. So she'll want to look for mom. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you start doing high fives with her. I love high fives. High fives are brilliant. Kids always love high fives and we can use them to establish certain boundaries without them even realizing it. It's not a punishment. It's not a reward. It's a high five and we all love them. So 
when she comes over to read a story to Bubby, when she comes over to help change his clothes or, or whatever it is that you guys are doing, give her a quick high five. Oh, I love it. High five. Okay, let's do it. And start doing this. And it starts to become a pattern. She will start to, over time, she'll start to look for that high five. So what does that mean? That means she's looking for mom. So next time she's with Bubby, she's like, where's my high five? <laughs> you know, where's mom? I need my high five. I guess it's just thinking outside the box a little bit. How can we entice her? How can we help her see the benefit in what it is that we want her to do? Remembering that she's too young to understand that I just need you to be safe because that's what you want more than anything is you want to know that your two beautiful babies are safe when you're not in the room. And for her to understand that, unfortunately you can explain it over and over and over again, but I don't think that her little brain will process it and hold on to it and make decisions based on it. So we're better off doing anticipating the challenges, setting up the environment for success. Redirection is your best friend, by the way. And then maybe offering some type of a replacement that will motivate her to engage in what it is you want her to do. And that's look for you. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us and answering those tricky questions. Uh, Thank Uh, you for having me. If you have a question for our experts, you can email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au, join our weekly live helpline, or leave a question in our Facebook helpline group. And if Stephanie is the lady you want to chat to, you can book a one-on-one private session with her through the Parent School portal on Babyology. I'll put the links in the notes of this episode. Next week, we're looking at getting two children to sleep, think baby and toddler day naps or even settling at night with Mothercraft nurse Leonie Clements. I remember finding that particularly difficult. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you then. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, Email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.